Hello, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here today uh, with our Stella panelist. I think this panel actually is very timely, and um, uh, of course, a crew change has been um, a topic of the industry um, for the past few months. Uh, and uh, with this panel, actually, I think we've got a very uh, good lineup here. Uh, we've got um, Bjorn also uh, here, based here in Hong Kong, um, representing the uh, ship management uh, segment, and then uh, Savitore. Uh, representing also ship owner and also manager. And then of course, uh, we have ICS representing all the uh, uh, ship owners associations. And then Stephen uh, representing the uh, crew. And then of course, uh, we need also somebody from the port uh, state and uh, we've got Natasa over here. So I think it's a very comprehensive uh, and a very good mix uh, here. Uh, now, um, I think uh, what we will do for this um, panel is that uh, I will uh, throw a question to each of the panelists first. Um, and um, then we can base on that and to have a, a discussion uh, on the situation now. Uh, because um, uh, I think uh, for this panel, we can go through uh, what happens in the, in the past few months, what everybody is doing uh, yeah, right now, and then also looking ahead um, in the future, how could we deal with this better, uh, both on the corrective and also preventive side. Uh, now, maybe I will um, start with um, uh, what we are doing here now in Hong Kong. Uh, for the crew change arrangement, actually for the uh, outgoing crews, um, they could, um, that could be arranged. And um, uh, what we're doing now is that, that they stay on board on vessel when the airport, uh, plane arrives, then actually they go directly to the airport and then fly off to home. Uh, and then for the uh, incoming uh, new crews, then actually the arrangement is that um, they arrive in Hong Kong before the, uh, the airplane arrives and then they also go directly um, from the plane um, to, the, uh, uh, to, the, to, to get on the, uh, the ship. So of course, um, the main point here is that um, to stay um, uh, away from contact with the local uh, population. Uh, now, Bjorn, uh, actually, um, I will start with you. Um, now, um, I think um, you have done, Angle Eastern, have done a lot on the food change already. And I think you have made use of uh, Hong Kong and some other uh, hub uh, in, in order to do that. Now, uh, what kind of um, uh, problems have you encountered, uh, issues that you, uh, you see that uh, now is happening, and um, how you're dealing with it? Uh, Bjorn? Okay, uh, thank you, Benjamin. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you, Benjamin. The, um, so, so, so the last, you know, since uh, late March, we've pretty much been been closed down for crew chains. About three weeks ago, we uh, we started seeing uh, minor openings here and there, but it is a major uh, logistical challenge still. Um, firstly, the home country of the seafarers need to be open. Secondly, the ports uh, in which the vessel calls need to be open and allow crew chains. And thirdly, there needs to be flights available between between uh, the home country and the port. Um, we, had, um, we had about 16,000 seafarers on board our ships at any given time. And three weeks ago, we had uh, close to 7,000 who were due for relief. In the last uh, three weeks, we've done close to 1,500, but obviously we still, we still have more than 5,000 people on board ships who need to be relieved. Uh, some some places have become available uh, for crew chains, but we still have major bottlenecks. Um, for instance, there are no commercial flights out of India. It's hard to get people uh, back into India. 
crew chains in China can only be done for, for Chinese crew, etc., uh, etc. Et so there are still major bottlenecks that need to be opened. Right. Thank you, Bjorn. Uh, now, um, you mentioned about earlier, I think, um, uh, several issues, right? Three bottlenecks. So now, um, uh, also, um, now with the three bottlenecks, uh, which one would be the most challenging one in your, in your view? Well, I think it depends a little bit about where your seafarers are from. Um, uh, for us in Anglo Eastern, who have more than 60% of our seafarers from India, the biggest problem for us is that there are no flights out of India. And um, even though we can use charter flights today to get people from India to, uh, let's say, Doha and from there onwards to, uh, to ports in Europe or in uh, in Hong Kong, for instance, that are open for crew chains, then the off-signers can actually not return to India because mm -hmm. the, the uh, facilities to ensure that they're in quarantine when they arrive in India are not sufficient. So right now we've got, we've got something like 300 seafarers sitting in various ports in the world waiting for a permit to return to their home country. Right, I see. Uh, yes, um, it's a challenge indeed uh, because I think um, all the countries are facing more or less the uh, same situation. Um, that uh, the quarantine facilities is something that um, uh, is very short of. Uh, Salvatore, um, now also actually the same question to you. Um, for the past few months, uh, how did you deal with the uh, crew change and then um, what's the situation right now? Um, is it uh, getting better for you and also for your crew mates? Um, I'm not quite sure whether it is like quite different from Anglo Eastern from what uh, Pyong has been dealing with. Um, uh, so um, uh, what's your view uh, on the, the situation now? So first of all, um, it's um, the basically the I share completely his view, and uh, basically I think that in general uh, we have the same. Uh, the industry is facing exactly the same problem everywhere. Uh, if we go a little bit more into details of what we are facing, uh, we were among the first one to stop uh, uh, the crew rotation well in mm -hmm. advance uh, of other countries closing their borders. And we decided to do this as soon as we were not sure about the safety of our seafarers on both on their joining trip and on their trip to return home. Because we could never uh, have the possibility, we could never risk of someone of them getting sick. We are in very good relationship with all our crew on board and this helped us a lot in managing the situation. In fact, since moment number one, I started to have a regular video conference personally with all our vessels and to talk to them directly and update them about the situation. At the beginning, I was not sure of which was the solution, but I knew that the solution uh, would be by working together with my people on board. So when we started again the crew rotation, if I'm not wrong, three or four weeks back, uh, since then we have done a lot of movement, but still not enough to be back uh, in line. And it will take uh, some time because as John was saying, there are some uh, um, countries which have their borders still closed. And although we managed also for those countries to uh, do some rotation, for example, we had some vessel uh, who stopped over in India to do some uh, crew replacement. Uh, we, had, uh, uh, we could uh, capitalize the possibility of a couple of uh, charter flights and so on. This still doesn't allow us to run our operations in, let's say, normal mode. So we are still in full emergency mode. And I think that uh, the biggest problem today is not only for those seafarers who are on board and still has to go back uh, ashore 
and thanks God, in our cases, uh, we have a contract time, which usually is slightly shorter than the industry average. And in this case, this helped a lot. But I think that uh, our main concern is also for those people that are ashore and are waiting to go back on board and they are not earning any money for their families. Mm -hmm. And in particular in uh, countries like India, where one seafarer gives, uh, provides food for 10 families, this is a giant disaster. Mm. Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, I think uh, for the uh, new incoming crews, uh, just keep waiting. Um, waiting for the income to come in actually is very tough. And actually the same for those crews um, that are stuck on board, uh, uh, very much needed, uh, needing a rest and also uh, seeing the family. So um, both sides are actually very difficult right now. And uh, I have to say, I specifically, I like um, how you are being personally involved and talk with the crew because I think um, uh, while they are stuck on the, on the ship, but then at least um, they know that the top management is being involved and trying to find a solution for them. So uh, I think it is a very uh, comforting um, uh, gesture and um, uh, making them feel better, even though they are you know, uh, being stuck at sea. Uh, now I would like to turn to a guy um, uh, representing the, uh, uh, the uh, ship owners industry. And actually, I stole a few pictures uh, from your LinkedIn, um, and um, which is, um, I don't know whether you can see that. There. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is guy running on the treadmill, uh, and uh, then afterwards uh, having a beer. <laughs> now, um, that uh, for those who uh, they don't know, um, actually, guy was uh, running this um, uh, lockdown uh, half marathon, uh, raising funds uh, for the um, mission for seafarers. And I think you raised it 12,000 pounds? About 18,000 pounds, actually. 18,000 pounds, oh, fantastic. So actually, I think it's, um, that's how um, Guy and among, among other people um, trying to do as much as possible uh, to help with the uh, community and with, also with the seafarers. And now Guy, um, now Guy uh, sorry. <laughs> um, now, um, representing the uh, ship owners industry, so, um, I think um, you have had a lot of uh, discussion with um, other ship owners around the world. Uh, now, uh, for, from your point of view, uh, how is it um, uh, uh, being done um, uh, on this um, issue uh, from both sides? From, for example, the government uh, very supports uh, and also the um, ship owner side, the crew side, crewing side, um, uh, ship managers. Um, and how, do you, how is the situation developing for you? What's, what's in your view? Thank you, and, and firstly, thanks for the opportunity to, to, to come to this forum as well. I just want to touch on Salvatore and, and be honest, the, the, I think ship owners are going the extra mile to try and get the crew changes. There's no stone being left unturned. It is, as some of the issues that have been highlighted is, is the real problem. Um, and so it's, um, we've been sort of having close you know, contact also with the ITF, with, with, with Steve, who I'm sure speak as well. So I think there's an understanding that ship owners are, are not the issue here. This is about, the, the other things that we've talked about is the lack of commercial flights. Uh, they all shut down. It is the unnecessary bureaucratic stuff which is still in place. So uh, I noticed Natasha's there and I know Cyprus is an exemplar now on how to do crew, crew changes, which is great. But things like getting hold of visas for seafarers is another thing which is, which is a, a real block and that needs to be removed and, and, and to waive. And then you've touched on the, the labour supply countries, particularly in India, but also the Philippines where they're you just can't get people processed out, as well as getting uh, repatriate seafarers there. So these are real sticking points uh, for doing. We, you know, we are been lobbying very hard. We've been 
starting to get traction in the media now, I think, uh, and I'm doing quite a few interviews later on today on, on, on that, and to try and raise a pro profile. But actually, they, you know, our seafarers have been the, the unsung heroes of this. They've been out of sight, out of mind, and they've kept the world supplied over the last three months. And I think governments around the world owe them a debt of gratitude, and I think they should do everything in their power now to facilitate their movement. It can be done. This is political now. We know that once they know that demand can be there, we know commercial airlines will start up flights, and we've been speaking to IATA about this. But this needs now coordinated political action at a, at a government level, which says that seafarers are key workers, they're essential workers, and they should be exempt from many of the travel restrictions in place, necessarily so around the world, because we need them to get to the ships and we need to get them back home. You know, the seafarers have missed weddings, their own weddings, they've missed births. They probably miss funerals and close relatives. Real humanitarian issues here. And Salvatore made a really good point about those stuck ashore. I mean, that's, you know, that's absolutely, you know, some of them not being paid. So we've got a real double problem here. I think, uh, you know, the figures that you've told me, beyond there, 5,000 still to go and 1,500 relieved, that bears out what we've heard elsewhere. We're only getting about 25, 30% of the crew changes taking place that need to take place. And that is, again, the, the issues are stacking up. So we really need this coordinated political action to try and make these things happen. Thank you, Guy. Uh, yes, I totally agree that um, the crew, they are actually unsung hero. Um, they are the people, they keep us, um, the, the lights in our home are being lit and also uh, our refrigerator being uh, stopped and filled. Um, and um, I think um, uh, for this, actually, uh, now uh, I'll turn to Stephen. Uh, now, um, um, the ITF actually has um, done a lot also uh, during these um, past few months um, uh, and also given uh, flexibilities um, to the industry in terms of extending the contracts of the crew. Um, of course, um, for the uh, shipping industry, comparing to aviation, you know, aviation is a lot more visible. And then a lot of people are talking about the, the, the crews and also um, uh, the cabin crew and also um, um, the industry themselves are being affected. Uh, but shipping is actually relatively uh, less understanding for shipping and also especially the crewing uh, problem. Uh, now, um, also from the 15th of June, um, uh, actually yesterday, uh, Hong Kong time, um, then actually uh, ITF is now suggesting um, the, uh, the crews that uh, uh, at the will, uh, if their contracts are uh, expired, then of course uh, they could exercise their rights um, to uh, stop working. Uh, and uh, I think um, also I understand that because um, uh, there have been three months already and uh, uh, somewhere along the line, you have to um, draw the line and um, uh, make a decision. So uh, now uh, for that, actually, um, how um, was the suggestion that uh, you are giving to the uh, industry on uh, how to deal with it uh, at this point of time and also um, in the future? Uh, because obviously um, this is also um, a, an issue that um, if um, the vessel, um, they, the ships, uh, if they uh, fall below the uh, minimum manning requirement, then actually they have to um, stop selling also. Um, so um, uh, what would the suggestions uh, you give to the industry? Thanks, Benjamin, and thanks everybody for the opportunity. It's a, it's a great panel and it truly reflects our united front. So I'll briefly do a bit of background. The flexibility is because we're not holding the ship owners responsible for this pandemic. Reality is caught everybody off guard. It does show 
some of the fractures in our industry. But what, and we're also dealing with the aviation crisis as well, it does show that maritime is unique and has the ability to, to leave all the out, other issues that are out there behind and really drive. So my big thanks to, to Guy and our employers, the ship owners, um, and of course the UN agency. So we've done kind of amazing work, even to produce that document, the protocol document in such a short period of time and get it agreed is amazing. That's the good news. Bad news is we are not loud enough in the decision-making arenas in governments. And again, we, we collaborated with all of our partners. And last week, we were very pleased the Secretary General of the UN made a statement. We recognise the statement comes in two shapes. One is we have a humanitarian challenge. Not everybody is as good as Salvatore ringing his crew on a regular basis. And we have to recognise that the industry doesn't always speak with the same sense of care and concern. Everyone in, in this chat room is very responsible. So the crew, we shouldn't really have to rely on that loyalty. We need some answers for these crew. And we, that takes us to the humanitarian question of their state of mind. There is a, we're like literally that deadline today of just keeping in real time with our claims handlers hundreds of seafarers on our WhatsApp, Facebook, asking us what they can do. Um, so there's a, there's a level of reassurance here to the seafarer and to the companies. We're not going to tell you to get off and fall foul of immigration authorities and those issues, but we need the governments. And again, our thanks also to Cyprus, which is recognised as really facilitating crew change. Um, we, we need to be able to tell the seafarers you will get off and that pressure from home, Guy touched on it, but imagine today that a lot of the good ship owners are giving more wider internet access. The family are coming into your cabin asking when you're coming home and that is adding to the stress and strain of the whole situation. So we, we, we need some answers. So the big, big question for us is how do we get government, Guy touched on it, how do we get the governments and we see some countries certainly the europeans have been moving quite quickly to move and we need the and we need to waiver the need for it for visas we need to yes we recognize the critical nature of testing but can you imagine the chaos this demand has created in the philippines in india in ukraine where we need to get thousands of people um, tested and turned around in very tight time frames and the conversations myself guy and our colleagues from the ibf system have been having even when a ship owner has a flight there's a sort of 50 percent chance it'll be cancelled i've got stories of seafarers leaving vessels being sent back to vessels going to a hub the plane not arriving so i think what we hope on the basis of what we heard from the secretary general on friday the the colleagues of the IMO and the colleagues of the ILO, the, a very strong message about prioritising seafarers. And what do I mean by that? They need to be put forward in the list of other travellers, business travellers, overseas workers. They need to be prioritised because that issue of three months without any salary, unexpected, there are people dependent on these salaries. There are economies dependent on these salaries. They need that we need to get this moving and we need an extraordinary global response 
We need those members of the European Union. We need those in the White House. We need all of those others. We thank the number of the uh, Arab airlines for keeping flying. And the biggest challenge we have now is we need those planes in the sky. And we need the airlines to recognize that this is a humanitarian issue. We've had conversations about chartering. You know, I've never seen the industry work like it is together. And that's because we recognize this isn't just about money. Although the global supply chain is at risk. We don't want hundreds of seafarers walking off with nowhere to go and then stopping the supply chain, oil, medical equipment, foodstuffs, critical stuff to help rebuild or respond to COVID and rebuild the economies. So for us in the ITF, We've taken this very seriously. We will continue to collaborate with all of our contract partners and all of those that we hold very good relationships, but we need the seafarers to believe that we, the industry, will help them find a solution. This is the confidence moment, a critical moment that we have to show that we can get governments to listen. And yes, at the end, there is this conversation about who puts the foodstuffs in Walmart, who provides that medical equipment the personal protection equipment and it's the seafarers and uh, they, they're beginning to feel they're not recognized so for all of us in the itf we didn't want to call time on the extensions but we recognize that unless something more drastic happens it, it won't change and the worst case is we're still having certain countries that won't give medical treatment to sick mm -hmm. seafarers and so mm -hmm. for us we need to move the seafarers we need to get those that are landlocked on the planes to the ships to relieve their colleagues. But we also need to make sure that we, we can help the basic, basic human right to get medical attention when it's critical. We, the, 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 our colleagues from the ICS and IMO and ILO have intervened on way too many cases to get medical treatment to ships. And uh, in this period, I hope this is as short as possible and we'll get strong answers in the next month or so to get the seafarers moving. But it won't happen if you can only get 15 appointments for 10,000 Filipinos in the American embassy. It won't happen if we can't unblock these blockages. So I don't mean to be too passionate, but I am, we're dealing literally with seafarers in a very emotional state. And of course, occupational health and safety there's a big message out there to the charterers who i hope are watching this isn't just the ship owner and the ship manager and the union problem this is also the charterers who may need to help us divert ships they may need to help us share some of that economic burden to move people around they're not always seen but they're a very influential group so for for, for us in the itf we commit to work with the seafarers provide reassurance but to all of our colleagues on this panel we'll continue to work 24 hours seven days a week to make sure the seafarers uh, get some justice and can get home as soon as possible thank you thank you Stephen. um don't worry i think uh, for all the people in the industry they understand that uh, you are not being too passionate this is actually a very real and very urgent um, uh, issue that we are talking about um, now um, I think uh, I mentioned earlier that actually I think the lineup is fantastic for this panel uh, because also we've got uh, Natasha and we are saving the best time um, uh, for the last and uh, I think actually um, being uh, representing the government as, and also uh, Port State actually um, you have done tremendous work uh, for the past few months uh, helping um, uh, facilitating the food change 
And I think that you're one of the first few countries that um, uh, have that happened. Uh, and um, of course, um, me also being from the government also understands um, the amount of work um, that you have been, sorry, uh, the amount of work that uh, you have done, uh, your government has done uh, for, uh, to facilitate this. And uh, of course, um, the, um, the very difficult balancing act uh, between allowing the crew change and at the same time, uh, protecting the uh, local um, uh, population uh, for the health concern. Um, and then, of course, we've got the statistics, uh, which every, all, all the countries are very concerned about also. Now, uh, Natasha, that's why I would like to, uh, you to share um, the work that you have been done and the results that you are seeing um, uh, in, in the crew change. Um, what you see is the most challenging part and also um, how you are seeing uh, your government dealing with it uh, forward. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you, first of all, for the very kind uh, words and uh, um, and thanks to everyone for some very insightful comments in the uh, in the conversation um, so far. Um, yeah, when we introduced crew changes um, and sort of a formal procedure uh, at the end of April, start of May um, this year, we. Um, didn't really expect it to have taken off to the extent that it did. I mean, we felt that it was a duty um, to uh, recognize, first of all, seafarers as key workers, which was the first thing that we did, and to follow recommendations that had come from the ITF, from the ICS, from the IMO. We find those recommendations extremely helpful uh, because one of the um, it, it, they were taken into account in the protocols and in the work that we did to implement the process. And that was actually very helpful because to this day, um, we get um, tens of requests every day. I think we've uh, repatriated and signed on um, a few uh, thousand people uh, to date. And we haven't really had a single uh, positive case, which is possibly also down to luck, obviously, because, you know, COVID is out there and it's, uh, um, and we're all vulnerable to it. But I think there are procedures that can be taken to minimize the risk and that can actually offer a respite to seafarers, which is, of course, um, the most important thing. So um, our processes have to do with, um, you know, obviously taking the test. Uh, we're lucky in that in Cyprus, you can take the test very easily at the airport or at private laboratories. So, um, so that is possible if people are not able to do the test in their country in the destin in the uh, country that they leave from, they can do it once they arrive here. And then it is possible for them to stay in hotels in self isolation for the time it takes for the test result to come out. And we're making every effort for that time to be shortened. Uh, so it was um, a couple of days before. Now it's a few hours and we hope that it will be um, become shorter and shorter so that the hotel uh, requirement does not even come into play. For the people who get off the vessels, it is not necessary for them to do a COVID test. They can just if they follow the protocol of precautions that we recommend in terms of their safe transportation to the airport, safe embarkation on the flights, they can just um, sort of follow that process and, and leave. Uh, but yeah, to begin with, the biggest challenge, as you say, was the airports. We also had uh, closed airports at Cyprus, so we didn't have any commercial flights. So uh, my team and I are now 
travel agent experts, we could start a new, a new business probably on the back of all this experience because we had to um, uh, sort of uh, collaborate with the Ministry of Transport in order to find uh, flights that the government was organizing to get people on these flights. And it was challenging to begin with because there was some delay obviously between uh, you know, sometimes the vessel arriving and then the on-signers arriving or people leaving, which is why we had the measures whereby they could stay in hotels as well in the, in the intervening period. Um, but things like not requiring visas in Cyprus for seafarers, which has always been the case, um, made things easier because a lot of the logistics were kind of, um, you know, um, a lot, a lot simpler. Uh, and also, we ended up having a lot of ships um, uh, at Anchorage, which is uh, which is positive in the sense that uh, they were able to do quite a few crew changes over time um, with different ships coming and doing ship-to-ship uh, -ship transfers as well. So, um, so, so, you know, different types of vessels require different, uh, I suppose, arrangements. But uh, uh, we do look at everything case by case if we can. Now that Cyprus has um, uh, uh, categorized countries as per EU recommendations according to their risk level, things have become a lot simpler because uh, from countries in the lower risk categories, let's say, uh, which are A and B, um, there are commercial flights. So the situation is a lot easier uh, in terms of getting people in and out. Um, and also it is a lot, um, it, the process is a lot easier because those people, people coming from category A and B do not have to uh, submit, do not have to get special approval from us so they can just do it privately. Um, and that's uh, obviously, you know, business as usual in a way. Um, there are a few complications and logistical difficulties in that if they cannot get tests done in their own countries, they have to do it here. So they have to let us know and we have to uh, sort of help with the arrangements. But we're very happy to help and very happy to see people um, getting back home or as Salvador said, um, coming uh, back to be able to go um, to work. And again, um, as, as everyone mentioned, I think the, uh, the real complication is the, is the aviation side, but we did have a lot of help from embassies. So we did utilize different embassies to get seafarers prioritized onto flights that were available. And that is something I think that, that other countries can do as well, because uh, especially for countries uh, that are not allowing crew changes, that are not allowing, allowing much movement, it is actually necessary to intervene to get people to their final um, destination. So, um, so yes, still a lot of um, challenges, I suppose. With us, um, with Cyprus being uh, uh, like Hong Kong, both a flag state and uh, having the, the port side as well, um, it has helped that we have the the connections with the different maritime administrations where we can actually reach out if there is a problem. Um, with the seafarers or with vessels uh, encountering problems in different countries. Uh, but it is all a learning curve and for sure, uh, these are all lessons that we will need to uh, leverage on going forward um, to become more efficient and effective and to, and to support seafarers and companies um, in shipping. Thank you, Natasha. Uh, yes, um, so now we've got um, the perspective from um, each um, panelist. 
actually, I would like to throw a, um, a very fundamental question um, to um, uh, all of you, uh, which is um, the visibility of the industry. Because I think um, uh, the, the uh, very often um, shipping, actually, we've got very nice people. And uh, we uh, very often we are just doing our own stuff uh, without asking much from the uh, government. Now, um, I think that probably is also making it um, less um, uh, high on the priority list. Um, and um, now, uh, well, for those uh, can, uh, uh, sorry, for those industries who are very outspoken, very visible, then actually uh, it's quite easy for um, the government and uh, regulatory side uh, to see what they need. Uh, but then, um, how could we improve the visibility of the industry uh, in the future? Uh, so that, for example, um, uh, the countries and the governments uh, will understand, for example, the importance of uh, the crew side or the industry. Uh, what do you think? Like, um, uh, because uh, maybe I'll ask Guy first, because uh, you represent uh, all the uh, ship owners uh, 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 association. Um, uh, do you see that as a problem? And then how uh, do you think that could be uh, addressed? The thing is, traditionally has been a, perceived as a problem is what the sea blindness, if you like, is, you know, trade, people don't stop to question where the goods are getting, come from, mm -hmm. you know, the fuel they put into their tanks and their cars, and they don't see there's a shipping element to that. I do think over the last few months, we, we, we I think, got more coverage of shipping um, on the back of, sadly, this humanitarian issue that we, that's facing us now. There does seem to be attraction, people are starting to question actually there is a, a hidden army of people out there who are keeping the world supplied and that's something we need to capitalize on moving forward but i think it has been a, a has been an issue in the past it's something we're certainly focused on the ics changing to try and get the narrative of how important shipping is to world trade it's, it, it is really is the, the sort of the oil that keeps the trade flowing and mm. so without shipping we would um, we'd be in a lot of trouble and you know the seafarers that go along with it you know if it wasn't for the seafarers, the ships wouldn't move. So I think we are working very hard at that. I think we've had some progress. Um, and what we need to do is make sure as we move, and I hope we do move to a, a more normalized state sooner rather than later, that people don't forget that shipping is vital to trade. And I think we also need to make the case as well moving forward that, that, that globalization is it's not always a bad thing and actually trade keeps economies afloat and has raised people out of poverty because my fear coming out is that people might take a more protectionist view of that. So I think getting the media, the importance of shipping and what we do is, is a really important uh, task facing us. Right. Thank you, Guy. Uh, Bjorn and Savitori, uh, what about um, you, um, your view on that? Well, Bjorn, I'll leave I you, you take the floor before me, please. All right, thank you. I, I think, so you mentioned it, Benjamin, the, the key word here is priority, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we can all understand instinctively why uh, nurses and doctors need to be treated differently than the rest of us. They need to go to work so that they can help us overcome this crisis. We all get that. We even, we even get that we need policemen and law, uh, law enforcers uh, in the streets as well. It's, it's simply a question of leadership on behalf of governments. Um, mm. They have to recognize that when we switch on the lights, when we put gasoline in the car, when we buy a cucumber in the supermarket, we get medical supplies, it wouldn't happen if we didn't have the ships. And we need to treat these seafarers like the key workers they are. They are not a risk. They are not a risk to the communities. They, through their jobs, they stay in, in quarantine, they're isolated. Uh, 
We haven't had one case in three, mm. in three months on six, 16,000 seafarers. So this is not complicated. It is, it is a question of prioritizing it and getting it done. And we need, we need governments and leaders uh, to step up to that challenge. Right. Thank you, Bjorn. Uh, what about Stephen and Natasha? Any comments on that? Should I, I should like this first or uh, should I? Um, no, go ahead, Stephen. Okay, I just, I, I think um, we have a unique opportunity to position ourselves coming out of this. And Bjorn's captured it, and I think we all shared a view that it's a critical industry. I think we'll see some changes in the global supply chain. Um, I think we, we certainly in the ITF, because we deal with all the transport modes, see supply chains changing as the fluid as we move forward. Some of that may be digitalization and some of those things, which of course is a bit of a worry for some of our members. But the reality is we have to start using our economic, um, the economic argument more and more clearly because um, our fear is that, you know, when we've done probably the best collaboration I've seen in 27 years, um, still we can't get the right people to make the right decisions. And yes, I agree with Guy, globalization does change the economic flow. We could probably do with a bit more work on equitable distribution, but the charterers have got to come out of the hidden corridors and ultimately blockchain and all of this transparency will ultimately call on a different kind of supply chain that protects and recognizes the contribution of shipping and the seafarers that serve on ships. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Natasha? Yeah, um, I'll agree with everyone's comments. I think COVID has helped to um, sort of bring shipping to a much more uh, prominent position than, than what we are normally used to. I think we should definitely capitalize on that in order to uh, keep the momentum going. I think another initiative that has gained um, a lot of visibility is the environmental uh, aspect and the efforts that are being made to reduce pollution. I think that that is another way where we can get a lot of um, sort of positive reaction from the public if they understand the real uh, effort and the amount of investment that goes into making shipping cleaner despite the fact that it is already um, the cleanest form of transport. So I think, uh, you know, um, these topics, shipping has traditionally been very important but perhaps less um, relevant to a person's life in that yes they get their goods from ships uh, you know most of the time but that's not something that affects their day-to-day -day, uh, life because everything just runs uh, very efficiently so they don't notice whether you know goods get here on time because they or wherever they are because they, they most always do uh, so it takes something like COVID for them to realize that actually what we have been experiencing as a, as a given uh, throughout our lives is not actually given it's something that requires a lot of work and a lot of effort from a lot of people so I think collaboration which was mentioned by the other speakers as well is really really important in making shipping more visible I think a lot of different people and a lot of different organizations um, we all sort of make um, 
fragmented efforts, let's say, to gain more visibility, to attract more receivers to the profession, to um, sort of um, uh, make sure that the profession is uh, protected and that seafarers are treated fairly, to ensure that shipping remains, uh, you know, the main uh, sort of mover of international trade to make sure that we can grow in a sustainable way. Um, all these things need to be showcased in a way that is perhaps a little bit more uh, modern than what we've been used to doing. And we've been used to doing things in a traditional way because it's worked, not because, you know, it needed to change. Um, but, um, but I think technology, uh, as Stephen said, is something very important that is going to help us both to attract uh, more attention and also to, um, to basically meet a lot of the objectives that we have set for ourselves. Right. Thank Benjamin. you. Yes. If I, if I may add, there is one point where we as an industry risk to fail yes. and we cannot fail. There is a lot of, in the news about autonomous vessels and so on. Mm -hmm. If the industry fails in treating well their seafarers, if the industry fails to uh, really put the seafarer at the center of the ship and not the ship at the center of the world, we are risking that tomorrow there will be no seafarers because it's not a matter of, of, being, uh, of putting them in a position to travel is a fact that one day it could be that they are not willing to risk to remain away from their families. If mm. we are not able to show that we are able as an industry all together to involve the government and to react in a positive way. I will give you a small example. I received mm. as an average about 100, 150 uh, application through LinkedIn right. for a cadet ship on board of our vessel. During the time of coronavirus, I received only two. So oh. I can easily imagine that all of them, the most of them were aware that in the, these are very difficult times. But according to me, many of them, unfortunately, are mm -hmm. hiding away from the industry and are running away and looking for some alternatives because they are afraid that they will, they are not able to risk what, what is happening. Also because when, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was normal to stay on board for nine months, a year. Mm -hmm. We had people staying on board, on board for 18 months and so on. I remember when I went for the first time on board as a deck boy and I was only 15 years old at the time, I stayed on board and there were people who were on board for 18 months, okay? Wow. And it was normal. Today, it's very unusual if you have people over the eight months period. So mm -hmm. the industry today is less prepared the seafarers are less prepared to face this kind of problem than they were the, before. So unless we want to go towards a no, anonym, uh, sorry, autonomous vessel, because we are forced to, and that is not the solution, allow me to say, mm -hmm. for international trade, obviously I'm talking. So this was only a provocation, but we need to find a solution. And the solution needs to start as the, as the old international organization are doing from them. And then in the small of our homes, it has the message needs to pass by also from ourselves. I, I mean, through our LinkedIn, Twitter, um, social media in general, everybody can share a good message. Obviously the main message, the main videos, the main communication needs to come from the international bodies. Mm, yes, thank you, uh, Sobutori. Uh, yes, um, it's very true that um, we need to keep um, the crew uh, 
and new talents uh, for the crew uh, keep coming in. And it is very important to make sure that um, first, they know that actually um, they are well taken care of, uh, even though they're in the middle of the ocean. And also, uh, I think a career uh, would play another thing. And also technology is something that I think uh, it could really help uh, with the mental health healthness and um, also uh, uh, help with the uh, crew to keep connected uh, to their families and also loved ones uh, onshore. Um, so uh, I think um, uh, we could go on for much longer actually. I, I, I hope that, uh, I, I wish that, that we could have time to talk a bit more on the technology and also mental health side. But unfortunately, uh, we have uh, overrun already. Um, so uh, I think uh, we will um, call it uh, an end to this panel. Uh, but for those audience, actually um, now um, there is a chat room. Um, uh, so uh, if you've got questions um, for our panelists, uh, please uh, stay behind and also uh, you can raise uh, the questions um, to the panelists uh, in the Q&A uh, chat room. Um, so uh, for now, uh, I think um, thanks a lot for all the panelists and it's fantastic uh, having all of you. And uh, actually, it's also a, uh, a learning lesson for me, listening to all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers. We want to thank everyone. So please head on over to the Capital Link chat room if you folks have any questions for our speakers. And we want to thank all of our speakers for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you.